I actually like, and I wasn't sure if I was going to do it, Andrew, but I like that you threw out some numbers <clears throat> and yeah. there's pros and cons to that because on the one hand, people want to hear that number. And then on the other hand, someone just walked away and went, Oh shit, man, I'm nowhere near yeah. a, a grand yep, test. I'm nowhere near. Yeah, and, and so I hope that we, we have to have some faith in the fact that the listeners and the viewers are able to sift through the information that we, pro we provide and make responsible decisions and honest decisions based on how they're progressing and where they want to go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with coaches Skip Hill and Andrew Barry. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by TrueNutrition.com. You can use our code THINK. Hit me up if you have any questions. Tons of different protein powder flavors. Basically got everything you need. Let me know if you have any questions. Like I said, uh, supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. Great deals that change week to week. And Strong Sports Nutrition for the people in the UK. Also, thank you to everybody on Patreon. You guys have lit it up. And I have a couple Patreon questions today. But today, we're going to talk about a topic that is kind of almost contrary, I think, to what we see a lot on uh, the trends nowadays. Trend uh, with a D, not trend. That a lot of times what I'm seeing from people is we're discussing you know, these really low-dose cycles. What's the least amount I could take? I'm all for that. We're all three all for that. But the topic we're going to discuss is, am I taking enough to reach my goals? You guys take it away where do we go with this one andrew well i think like we we think about like the juxtaposition of taking gear year-round high doses you know compromising your health versus a smarter consumer today that is trying to use the least amount of possible and, and least amount possible to produce the least amount of side effects possible but also elicit some growth but i think all three of us would agree that a 300 test 300 master on cycle is not going to fast track your gains the same way as a big boy cycle of 900 tests, you know, 800 EQ, 200 MPP every other day. Uh, do you guys agree or disagree? Completely Absolutely. agree. And I would add that I think the pendulum, I think we discussed this too. The pendulum was way off to the side with big doses for long periods of time. Then the pendulum got pulled back too far to the other side and now i think there's nothing wrong and we advocate for this there's nothing wrong with trying to optimize and using the minimal dose possible but there there's a happy medium in there and i think that we agree that recently within the last few years last couple years that we don't want people to get the wrong idea you could potentially still be missing out on optimizing your gains if you're being too cautious or overly cautious and minimizing your doses too much, anybody can do that. And everybody is allowed to be very safe and very minimal. But then when you don't get the gains and you come back to us in the comment section and you get on us for telling you to only take 400 milligrams and you're not growing and we're hiding the truth and we're holding all the secrets. This podcast is for you. <laughs> that's you gonna know, be I, a sound bite that's gonna be a sound bite right there <laughs> i've heard pretty I, good. I i've heard people that think that they're literally like they've destroyed their health if they reach like a total gram of gear you know they're like well i ran five six hundred tests and uh 400 <clears throat> primo you know and i and i feel like i've really taken risks 
with that, you know, and I'm not, it, it, and how do we approach that? Because how, how it, it's none of our places to say like, Hey, you're not, you're okay with that. Cause who knows? Everybody's individual, right? Sure. Yeah. I, I can think of a clear cut example of several guys that I have had in the last year that I still have right now. And that like are hell bent on basically like a 300 test max and maybe another anabolic or a small dose of an oral thrown in there. The other anabolic, maybe 200, 300 tops, whether it's Primo, Masteron or mm-hmm. something of that effect. And my conversation, and, and I should also say that both of these people have also had goals of doing a national show you. someday. Okay. That's okay. what I was going to ask you because, he, he, Hey, he, if you're a 40 year old dude, just want to look better in the yes. gym. That sounds great, I, man. Yeah, because context matters, right? These aren't forty-five-year-old guys who have three kids and mortgages and, and all these other things out. and responsibilities. Yeah, and just want to look a little bit better for when they go on their their summer trip down to, uh, you know, uh, one of the lakes or something. Myrtle. We're Beach. talking about guys that are Myrtle Beach. Yeah, we're talking about guys that are like, hey, I've done one show. I want to go and win my next show and I want to go and do nationals next year. And I want to get my pro card in two years. And then I want to be a good pro and win a pro show within four years. Okay. Well, first there's a lot to unpack there because the chances of that are happening. I'm sorry, are very low because winning a pro show is extremely hard when your pro card is extremely hard. Even now winning a local show is fairly hard, <laughs> especially in classic. Okay. But yeah. so like, and, and I think that conversation, it always comes down to like how, how risk adversive is that person? And you really got to do some back and forth with your emails and messaging to kind of get an idea. But I do think it's our responsibility to be honest. And I try to always be honest and say, look, this really isn't going to cut it. Like this is, this is what I would consider a cruise cycle for a lot of my clients that are doing the big boy cycles. You know, if someone's doing, you know, you know, 1.5 to two grams of gear a week, we might pull them down to 300, 400 milligrams of uh, androgens total for their cruise cycles to regain their health. Right. Well, that's what these people are treating as cycles. Okay. The other situation is I see this a lot. Younger kids who have no business taking PEDs will be, will say something like, well, yeah, I'm on a little TRT plus. And they're like 19 years old. And I'm like, yeah, so you're replacing your your natural, t- you're shutting down yourself, like when you're literally producing the most testosterone in your life you're ever going to produce. And I'm talking these, and, and I think the reason they're doing it, they don't want to say they're on a steroid cycle. They yeah. don't want to say they're doing what those guys over there are doing. They're just yeah. on TRT plus. And I think there's like an elite, um, there's like an elitist view when people do something like that, or when they when they talk like that. Like I'm not I'm not going to the depths that those guys are doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not committed that way, and so I, I find that situation pretty funny. But I do think as coaches, it's our responsibility to say, hey, that really isn't probably going to cut it. Like at some point, you're, if you want to reach those goals that you mentioned, you are going to have to dive into the deep end, and we're going to have to push some milligrams up. It doesn't mean we're jumping you to, you know, two thousand milligrams of test and two thousand milligrams of EQ and and all bunch of other ancillaries thrown in, but it probably means you need to do somewhere around 800 to 1200 milligrams of testosterone. You need to use 800 to 1200 milligrams of some other anabolic with it and maybe some oral sprinkled in at various times. And when you say we're not we're not just going to throw you on that, you're working your way up. That's over time, yes. right? Like, like people, yes, wonder, yes. You know, like we're, you know, we we have guys I think that I've seen who have been like, well, I tried 500 milligrams of test, and now I know I want to get as big as I can, so I'm going to run a gram of test plus, you know, 800 EQ, 
And I, I, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not okay with that, but the mm-hmm. guys we're talking about who are say competing at that national level or the pro level, and they are building, they're building that up over time. They've seen what 500 does. They've seen what 500 mm-hmm. plus 400 DECA does. They've seen what 750 test does. You know, they've worked their way up mm-hmm. to where they're mm-hmm. at. And it's just a matter of, you know, they're not staying at the 300 test, 300 primo, you know, and calling it TRT plus. Yeah. And when do you know when to go up? And I think the answer is quite easy. When you're not responding very well to the amount that you have used before. And that that question, it it is simple on the surface. But what you have and what compounds that decision is what we all think the vast majority of time. Well, wouldn't I respond so much better than if I went to two grams versus one gram and it doesn't now there's nothing wrong with experimenting and and making that jump. But if you're progressing well at a specific dosage, there is no reason to think that you won't respond next time to that until you don't. And if you don't and you can, and you can honestly say, okay, my training is optimized. It was optimized. I didn't progress as well. Uh, My diet is optimized. You know, my everything, all the, the little the little things the loose ends the stress the sleep and and i don't mean that they're little that they don't count because they clearly count but those things are harder to control sometimes because we have lives and we have stress and we have careers and we have families and we have things that happen that we have to deal with stress but if all those things are in line and everything is pretty well optimized and you're not growing then it might be time to step up i actually like and i wasn't sure if i was going to do it andrew but I like that you threw out some numbers <clears throat> and yeah. there's pros and cons to that because on the one hand, people want to hear that number. And then on the other hand, someone just walked away and went, Oh shit, man, I'm nowhere near yeah. a, a grand yep, test. I'm nowhere near. Yeah, and, and so I hope that we, we have to have some faith in the fact that the listeners and the viewers are able to sift through the information that we provide and make responsible decisions and honest decisions based on how they're progressing and where they want to go. Because I want to be very, very clear, and I think you guys will agree with me. Anything you're taking over TRT is a gamble and is a risk. How much? Can't say. But it's always a risk. So none of us are telling you to take the risk. That's a personal decision that each person has to make on their own. We're not responsible for your decisions and what you take. We're responsible or have an obligation to give you our knowledge and our experience based on whether it be gear or training or whatever. And then you take that information and pull from it or extrapolate what you feel fits with your situation and what you're going to do. So don't make not just us, but anybody else responsible for the decisions. If something, God forbid, were to happen in the future that you had some type of health problem or whatever, that will still be on you based on the fact that you made those decisions on what you were going to take. You know what, Skip? I think that's um, really well said. And... I I want to visit something else that's come up. We've had plenty of people who've come on that are really good bodybuilders and they've said, Hey, I, you know, I I don't run more than a grand like pros. Right. And they've thrown out their numbers and it's been low and it's caused like negative feedback from the audience where they're like, Oh my God, there's no chance in hell. So I think that one thing we do want to add to this is that although we're saying this, 
there's guys who have started at those lower doses and they never needed to go up. They got what they well, needed. Can I give an example? Out of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I literally, before we got on this podcast, I was on the phone with a really good classic pro and I don't coach him. I'm just friends with him and I was giving him some advice and something else, but he's three or four weeks out from one of the big shows. He's won a pro show. He's been to the Olympia. He's also um, placed in the top five at the Arnold. So I'm not going to say who it is, but someone who really does some investigating could probably figure it out. This individual, 300 milligrams of test, 300 milligrams of Masteron and 200 milligrams of Primabolin. And that's his prep cycle. Now, part of that is, is because he's, he's weight capped. But he's yeah. also a genetically, genetically blessed right. individual to the point that so, it was he's fast. Me to he, he's made more. What's that? It, it was leading me to a question, though. So I, I, I wanted to stay on track with that. So this guy, he's he's able to stay on those those lower doses. We're saying mm-hmm. that when you're not seeing that you're getting the results you wanted and you're being honest with yourself, that that may be the time to increase. How, and this is the next question I had for you guys. So how do we increase then? If you're say, let's take a guy who was running, we'll say 400 tests, four, we'll say 450 test, 400 master on. That's what his previous cycle was. And he's called it like a little more than TRT plus, And he's not getting what he used to out of it. What is, what is a reasonable amount to go up? Go up I'll throw out a number. Test. I was, I was going to say go up 200 milligrams of tests and 100 to 150 master on uh, onto that cycle that he was taking. Okay. So that sounds like mean, we might be in the same ball. I was going to throw out a percentage. I would say a minimum of 30%. Okay. If you're, yeah, it, that's about. And I'm just using an arbitrary number of a gram, then add another 333 milligrams, that 300 milligrams. <laughs> but uh, I would argue, I would argue this, and you guys might not agree. I'd say 30 to 50%. And the 50%. reason I would say that is, yeah. And, and the only reason I would say that is because if you're at a gram, jumping to 1500 is not this huge leap that all of a sudden, and, and the other thing is too, is with the increase, you do want to have enough of an increase that you're actually able to evaluate whether there really is anything there or not. I think it depends so, I don't on think, how much, because if you're, if you're well, talking, okay, let, you what, let me add a scenario. A guy who's on 500 test, I could see him getting a lot out of 750. That to me, so that's a, you know, a, a, a that's 50% jump. That's yeah, a 50 no, percent jump. I thought I thought a fifty percent. That's a fifty percent jump. Okay, I was thinking yeah. two fifty into into five hundred is fifty percent. So I thought he, you meant going from one five hundred. I was misinterpreting that. I thought you meant going from five hundred to a thousand. That'd be a hundred percent jump. No, so, that'd yeah, be a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent jump. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. I won't I'm jump. I'm off. doubling it. But yeah. no. But yeah, fifty yeah, percent. I can see again. Yeah, those are just numbers to to make the the point. But I I I do want to go back to this real quick. Yeah. People need to understand that the genetic, they there's this, it, it seems counterintuitive and I get it, but the genetic freaks don't have to take as much shit because they are genetic freaks. There are probably 10 people out of eight to 10,000 views who listen, 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 my whole philosophy in everything in life is progression. If I'm not progressing, I am frustrated. You know, back in the 90s, I was known as the guy who put muscle mass on people who were stuck. There were things happening in the industry that weren't good. And in April of 2003, Doug and I started True Nutrition. We put 
the money into the jug, into the bag. That's where the money goes. We're in lab coats, we're in the back, we're manufacturing this stuff. So if it's not worthy enough for me, it's not worthy enough for my business partner, it's not worthy for you. Whether you're a bodybuilder, a triathlete, whoever you are, whatever your goal is, it is customized to you. I developed my reputation as a no BS kind of guy. I'm Dante Trudeau, half owner of True Nutrition. What's what's up, guys? We're back, and we're wearing different clothes. Uh, we had some computer issues, so we had to take a break. We're going to finish this episode now. Uh, I think we pretty much covered everything we wanted to say um, about the topic of you know finding that middle ground with gear, and we're going to move on with some questions. Um, we got a bunch of your listener questions. If you guys want to take part in the next show, then comment below here on YouTube. Uh, that's where we take the majority of our questions from. Also on Patreon, you guys get priority. And uh, you know what? Uh, yeah, let's just hit it. So the first thing we had was a question that was posed to you, Andrew, um, related to DHB side effects. Mm-hmm. So and it, and I wanted to throw that to you guys because I know both you guys have more experience with it. Just a quick reiteration: I did like two weeks of it. I didn't like how I felt. I felt toxic. I felt very lethargic. I felt um, my sleep was a little bad. And I also just felt like I could taste it in my in my mouth all the time. So I gave it a two week run and I pulled it out. So I, I want to know because I know you guys have more experience with it. What you guys would say about side effects, results, and anything you want to say about it. I don't know about you, Scott, but I, as far as the sides, I actually tolerate it very well. And th- this is another part that we touched on earlier uh, in the previous segment was the tolerance being individual sometimes. And <clears throat> DHB, I think, is one of those things. The two things that stand out to me are it can be very uncomfortable for the injections uh, to the point where just on occasion, it it may not even be consistent, but on occasion, that muscle can be sore, cripplingly sore for five or six days. Um, I hit my lats a few weeks ago and I mean, they were like, my ribs were sore. I was thinking, and I'm not a big, which is kind of funny because, you know, we do gear and I'm not big on taking something as simple or as relatively innocuous as an NSAID. I don't, I don't like to use things like that, but it got to the point where I really didn't have a choice. That bad uh, then, huh? Yeah. And, and, you know, I hit my side delts a couple of days ago, which I usually hit quite frequently because when you have very narrow shoulders, if your shoulders happen to swell up, it's okay. It's a good thing. <laughs> but this particular time I knew within an hour of taking it, I'm thinking, these mm. are going to really be sore. <laughs> sure, I, I they know those absolutely, shots. Yeah, they absolutely were. So it's kind of hit or miss with me as far as whether it's going to be very sore. or And, and of course, it depends on what you're mixing with, how much you're mixing with, uh, the, vo- you know, the, the added volume on top of, say, you know, one mil of 100 meg DHB. If you have another two mil or you're doing half mil with another two mil, something, the more watered down it is, the better chance you have of it not being uh, or not hitting you as hard from a soreness standpoint. However, there are other people who can take it and they don't have any issues. And let me say this so I don't forget. This is very important when it comes to soreness. DHB crashes relatively easily. So as an example, in Florida, everything is real cold here. Your air has to be cold, you know, as far as your house or your apartment. 
restaurants have to be cold, bars have to be cold because you'll have problems with mold if it's not. So when a compound or a vial of something is not as warm, it has a better chance of not staying in suspension or crashing. If your DHB crashes, you're asking for not only pain, but a possible abscess. So you need to always be aware that it's clear. And when I say clear, not colorless, not translucent, but, but nothing in it, nothing floating around and definitely nothing gelling up on the, on the bottom that looks like glue. And if it is, you yeah, you vent it, you put it in, you know, the oven at 170 for 20 minutes and then you shake it up and it's, it's good to go. And usually that'll stay for a few months. It typically doesn't crash until something, something like DHB won't usually crash until it's been sitting there for a while. So, so that's, that's important. <laughs> you said one was pain though. You said there yeah. were two things. What the other one was thing? sleep and, oh. and it, it's not trend sleep. But it is in the sense that you end up with less sleep. But in my situation, I monitor my sleep I have for almost six years. It doesn't change my REM and my deep sleep. It just changes the total amount of sleep. Like I will wake up a half hour before my alarm goes off. And I have noticed that with DHB. I don't know if it's correlation or causation. But I do know that this is the second time I've used it in a couple of years. And I didn't have this problem in between because the last time I used it was 2020. And I haven't had it until I used it again. And I, it only started within the last three or four weeks, which would have put me on this cycle with DHB for about four weeks. And because it's a longer ester that there's something to be said there because after three or four weeks, it's probably the blood levels are, are, you know, up and it probably is playing a part to what degree. I don't know, but again, correlation versus causation, but those are the two things. The only two things that I, I think it's a great compound. I don't think it needs to be dosed in large dosages. I'm only doing 300 mig. Um, I know you said, Scott, that you, I think you said you had it at 200 mg per mil. I don't know how that stays in solution because I have a hundred mg per mil that sometimes will, if it sits too long, it'll, it'll crash. So obviously 200 mg would probably hurt a little bit more. You may have more (laughs) potential for pain with 200 mg versus 100 mg, but I'm sure that, you know, the, what it's suspended in is going to play a part as well. I know that, you know, the gear I get is quality. I'm not concerned about that. Um, but it, those are the two things that stand out for me. Nothing else. I, I don't have any side. I feel great on it. Um, aromatization is ridiculously low. Yeah. Um, notice I said ridiculously. Yes. Ridiculously. It's an yes. R word we're still allowed to use. Exactly. That that R word is allowable. <laughs> oh, man. Can I point out or ask a question or, or- so you can clarify, because you said um, how to reconstitute when crashed, and you, you and you said to vent it. And I think a lot of listeners would like mm. to understand what that means. Um, That's a good point. Oh yeah, good point. It, it's because um, I don't add anything to it. I know sometimes somebody will; they'll add you know BB or something, uh, benzyl benzoate. But I just vent it. I vent it with a essentially just a it's a needle, so that you're heating it up. You you just want it to. I don't Relief know, maybe the not pressure. blow up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, it just comes down to physics. When you heat something up, you're increasing yeah. air pressure. And yeah, but I'll also say 
for other people that sometimes when they reconstitute something, like you said, they add the um, benzyl benzoate or BB, um, they add like a CC in. And if it's 100 milligrams uh, per CC uh, preparation, you just got to remember it does lower it to 90 milligrams per CC right. at that point. Sometimes people kind of overlook those things about how to reconstitute, how to then redo the math and figure out how much they're actually taking. So. Yeah. And, I, and I don't think that adding BB to it is a bad idea. All I'm saying is I've never had to. All I've had to do is vent it and heat it. And, and you have to be careful with heating it because if you heat it too hot, um, you have the smoke point for oils and things. Essentially, you can damage the oil. And you don't – eating uh, an oil that is damaged is not great for health. But I'm going to guess – I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that injecting it is probably a lot worse. So I heat it to 170, uh, which I think is as low as my oven will go. Um, and I leave it in there for 20 or 30 minutes and then shake it up and it's good. It's good to go. I've used the method of uh, putting it in boiling water. Yeah, uh, I've heard, heard that one as well. And I've done both. I don't think that either of them are better than the other other than uh, I end up taking it out and checking too soon when it's in the water versus I can just put it in the oven and leave it. So my experience, uh, pretty similar to yours, man. You know, it's interesting that you can have one shot that goes great and then another shot just out of the blue wrecks you. For that reason, I kind of consider it to be a wild card. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I like the compound a lot, but to me, that's a wild card and... I'm hesitant to have my clients run it because I don't know where they're sourcing it from. Yeah. And you, you, you hit on something important, Skip. You need a good source because this stuff needs to be made well in order right. to, to be able to tolerate it because it can be really painful. Now, when I used it, it was not available like anywhere on the message boards or anything. And one company brought it back. They brought it out and um, they wanted to do uh, testing. So I was one of their testers and I ran a log on a message board and I ran it at 400 milligrams per milliliter. I was in a contest prep, worked fantastic. I loved it. I ran it again and I can't remember the second dose because this was literally 2010-ish or so, 2009. Uh, and, then, and then the next off season, I ran it again. So I ran it in a cut and in an off season. I liked it for both. Mm, and I, I I should step back too for anybody who's like, what is this DHB? So dihydrobaldenone, uh, we can say, so like as test breaks down to estrogen and DHT, D, uh, uh, this breaks down to dihydrobaldenone. Um, so this is the, the metabolite or breakdown from uh, equipoise. Just as test would break down to DHT, this is uh, EQ to this, right? So that's, that's what we have for, for the compound. Now, I would imagine, I don't know what the science is on aromatizing, but I would say it's it's radically minimal, you know? Yeah, minimal. Yeah. Like completely minimal. I, I would think there'd be no need for any type of additional AI support. What do you think? I'd be pretty surprised. I mean, you do have people who are sometimes absurdly sensitive to it. Now, if you're just running that by itself, um, which I can't imagine anybody would, uh, that'd be different. But no, I, I can't imagine the addition of DHB would require any adjustment to an AI yeah. at all. I'd, I'd be very surprised by that. I do want to add one thing, though, when you're talking about say, the... I also thought I didn't have any issues with sleep. That was So I had the, oh, the issues okay. with shots. I didn't have the issues with sleep. And the positive was I felt very little water retention 
like extreme fullness and in just like that all day pump that we love sensation mm -hmm. that feeling like you're just walking around freaking pump veins in your shoulders pumped i freaking loved it in fact i haven't been on gear for some time but if i were to go back on i'm kind of thinking it would be some dhb so sorry. Well, i Anyways. think some people <laughs> compare it to eq for two reasons number one because it has bold and own in the name which is very misleading but it also gives you a similar look as far as it you know it I see increased vascularity. I feel that increased fullness as yeah. well, which is very similar to EQ. Um, so I can see where people will make that mistake and connect them or make a, a closer connection with the two than really should be made. But I did want to focus on one thing with, and it made me think of it when you brought it up about the pain being random. And I said the same thing, but when you brought it up, it made me think about something else. I don't know if you guys have had this problem. I think I brought it up before to you guys. Do you ever get more soreness from injection as you get down to the bottom of a vial? Because I do. I've seen a connection with that. I can't say this? that it's causative. I, <clears throat> I, I just wonder if visually, you can't see, and this is a guess. This is a just a complete guess I'm reaching here. But to try to explain it, the only thing that seems sensical is maybe visually it looks the same, but there has been some separation of whether it be BABB, the, the oil and, and the compound itself, to where when you get down to the bottom, maybe there is some sort of different concentration versus when you pull that first ah. cc out of the vial it's a complete guess but i'll tell you <laughs> when i just when i hit my shoulders i finished a bottle of dhb and i went to the next one now if you're listening and you're thinking wait a minute skip's not too bright maybe it's the new bottle that's true it could be so when i go back to it today and it bothers me just as much and the old bottle is gone i'll come back on and go eh, i'm not too bright but I have seen over the years, and I've, you know, I'm a professional drug user. I have seen that there seems to be a correlation, and not just with DHB. It's just I think it's more pronounced. I've seen it with Trent. I have seen more. I would say I have had more of a trend cough than a, it when it gets down towards the end of a vial versus a fresh one. Huh. So I well, just it would make sense when you. It would make sense when you add in gravity and you add in density of the individual molecules. I mean, we're, just because it's in a preparation doesn't mean it's um, you know void of the, the laws of right. physics. So yeah, yeah I, I, your point, your, your, your hypothesis could absolutely, it would make sense. Would it change if you shook That's it what up? I say. Then, you know, That's that what were, I said. I, and this is a funny thing. I always shake it. Like it's some kind of, I don't know, amino you know, force yeah. or something. Yeah, just to make sure, you know what I mean? There's going, that's going back right there. Amino force, ABB, where you would drink the amino force and then you'd have the shits because yeah. there, you, you can't keep protein in fluid for that long and expect <laughs> that it's not, not going to degrade over time. The other thing is those tasted like shit, dude. Those things were tasting. Yeah, they were, they were not good. They're like good. they tried to make a fruity flavor of it before they really started flavoring proteins with fruit flavors, and that was just like, ugh, like a, a, probably like top five or three like worst tasting supplements I've ever had. I've only had two of them because of that reason. 
I can, and I mean, this is for the any of the old listeners who who are as old as I am and been training as long as I am. There's probably only a few of them, but I remember the Carbo Force when they first came out and they were in the long, tall, non-clear tube tubes, and it was like syrup. I loved those, but I was kind of a fat was, kid back then. I thought I was getting horrible. in shape when I drank one. It was like you know? eighty-five or eighty-six. Like I. I, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And I was like a fat kid trying to get in shape and I you know, you got to drink your carbo force. Yeah. I'd have one before and one after and I couldn't figure uh, one before I trained, one after I trained. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm gaining weight. I don't understand yeah. why I seem to be getting fatter. I, I had one <laughs> one more question um for you Skip before we moved on cuz we had uh, some other stuff we wanted to cover. So, like I said, it has been a long freaking time since I used DHB, like 2009, 2010, like I said. Now, I was much earlier in my gear use at the time, but from what I recall, it seemed like it took a longer time to really show its effects. Some compounds, they hit you quick. You know, of course, let's like go to the extreme. D-ball, a couple days in and you're like, oh my God, my pumps are out of this world. DHB... You know, I'm at the point where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going on a cycle. I can't wait for this to kick in. And the test is kicking in and it's working. But I'm like, I don't think I notice anything additional. It took me like five weeks. And that's why I went higher the second time. And guess what? It still took me like five weeks. Yep. Okay. It's a long ester. I'd I'd like to give a comparison of the ester to something like EQ, which is relatively long, too. But I'll be honest, I can't. I I mean, it's 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 sipping though, right? Well, kind of. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but if yeah. it's in the sip ester, shouldn't it, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't add up to me. Uh, why it doesn't, yeah, it's, why you don't feel it I, right away. Yeah. I think a lot of it's things wrong. play a factor into that in terms of, you know, the enzymatic reaction to break down the esters, um, interactions there's something with there. the transporters. Yeah. There, there, there's yeah, something there's, there. There's factors that are beyond definitely my understanding, but I, I can like, guess and hypothesize but maybe like a dr scott type um type of knowledge would be required for that one we need him all right we get we got a bunch of questions maybe we can try to rapid fire through some of these andrew and i we uh one time when skip was away we did a whole thing on intra-workout carbs so we could rattle through this one uh best carbohydrate supplement let's all say what we think is the best and maybe a top one in two Anything high molecular. Are we talking about for intra-workout, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to guess. Best carbohydrate supplement. Let's go for that. And, anything high molecular weight. So whether it's highly branched cyclic dextrin, Vitargo, or um, Carbolin. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a Carbolin guy. I, for some reason, and I can't get it through true, true nutrition, I don't think. But for some reason, I just tolerate it so well that it's like the one thing that I get from GNC. <laughs> The one, I'll add one thing. The one I used when I was super poor, and I still will use it to, at times to this day from True Nutrition is Carbo Load because you can get, they, the way they measure it now, I think you get 30 servings for bag, per bag. It's $20 per serving, and it is 50 grams per serving. So oh. if you're doing like a half a scoop, 25 grams, you've got 60 servings there. And I find what that is people, it made of? it's like a starch. It's like a waxy okay. maze type starch. Oh, I can't okay. do that. Yeah, it messes me up so bad. Like the like amyloid cell, really. It, you know what I? Well, I have theories on it, but we don't have time. I'll tell you when we're when we're done. All right, I'll jump to the next one then. Here, what else do we got here? Um, I'm just gonna randomly grab this. I don't even know what it is. 
Spotify listener wanted to get a question in. Um, had my bloods done six months ago and was exactly on the low end of test. UK ate an animal, uh, started at a dose of TRT at 150 milligrams per week and 100 milligrams of Masteron per week for six months Later, my testosterone measured at 15 nanomole, um, below average. Wondering if this something you've seen in clients before, and um, would you take a larger jump in test? My test is legit, as all other markers are skewed accordingly. Hmm. Well, I mean, the, the quick answer is yes, increase the test, but I, and I'll be honest, with the, the is that how you say it nanomole yeah i always have to convert these because i yeah don't so i'll know tell you what it is it's 432 nanograms per dl okay so let me tell you what he was at when he was you said he was eight how do you know that do you just i'm just doing off top, i'm doing the math in my head um how do you I'm know just, the no, math though like what oh <laughs> I'm, like, I'm impressed. I seriously don't know. Okay. No, I can do some conversions like that, but not like, um, so I'm, I'm on the website and I use this one called nmemo.com that has like every conversion possible. Oh. Cause I, you know, all of us have like European and Australian yes. and, and yeah. so I use this resource regularly. You just did that so quick. Speak. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so let me just tell you eight, eight animals per liter is equivalent to 230 nanograms per DL. Okay. So hypo, you know, hypogonadal basically he would, you know, that's why they gave him the TRT and then he bumped it um, to, I'm sorry, his test came back at 15 after hundred milligrams of tests per week and hundred milligrams of Masteron was it? Well, I'm sorry, 150 test and hundred milligrams of Masteron. And it came back at 432 nanograms for thus, thus on the, um, us on the East, Eastern part of the world or Western part of the world. Sorry. Western. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Yeah. I, I, I think if he wants to get more, I mean, I would bump up 50 milligrams and I would expect he would probably get into the 700s um, in terms of testosterone. It, it, and this is a thing I think all of us probably do this when we put clients on um, even TRT dosing, especially when we're trying to figure out how much of an AI to use with them. Right. Because when people are like, how much AI do I need for 500 milligrams of tests? Yeah. Well, I can tell you how much I need. But right. Like, yeah through working with hundreds and hundreds of men over the years, it could be all over the map. Some guys don't need a single AI at all. Some guys right. just a little bit of Masteron or Primo or something in there covers the estrogen for them. In some cases, 500 milligrams might put them at like 90 in terms of estradiol. So yeah. I think what I always tell people when we're doing something like this, especially a new client, test your test in estradiol like two to three weeks into changing something and then you can get a really good idea three weeks into adding an extra 50 milligrams of testosterone you can see where it puts you um and then you can adjust up or down accordingly mm -hmm. all right um let's see danny has one here for us and he says um hey guys love the show question for the next podcast 25 years ex 25 years old experienced user and wondering what you guys think of my next off-season cycle 600 tests 600 deca then weeks 12 through 16 oh he's going to run it 12 to through 16 12 to 16 weeks wondering if and when i should anadrol add anadrol or d-ball um and for how for how long Well, there's a lot of ways to add orals to a cycle. I mean, you, you could front load and you could say do 50 to 100 of Anadrol. I, I like Anadrol over D-Ball. You guys can weigh in on that afterwards. But I, I prefer 
Yeah, I, I if if I haven't used eball since I was nineteen or twenty years old, and I don't mm-hmm. think I'll ever use it again. I, Anadrol for me does the job much better, less water retention, no water retention. Um, I can feel it within two days, and etc. So with that being said, you know you could front load with it, and you could do like I always tell people, let's look at ten to fourteen days, and the reason being is that Anadrol can crush your appetite. Like, I was going to ask you how long before yeah. your appetite died on it. Yeah. I, I've, I've only had one guy that was like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm feeling great. Like 21 days into an anadrol cycle at hundred milligrams a day. Most yeah. people it's usually like 10 to 14 days. And I give them that leeway and I tell them, I'm like, be honest, don't just take the drug. Like the minute you start to feel your appetite start to go, let's pull the anadrol out. It doesn't mean we're not going to use it the rest of the cycle. Just pull it out for now. We need to reclaim that appetite because you got to eat to grow. Right. Yeah. Um, another way you could use it, you could, um, possibly throw it in on say a weak body part day. Like, let's say your back is horrible and you know, you might want to combine it with like a halo test in and maybe even like a fast ester test. And you could use it to get a little bit more aggression, a little bit more strength and, um, you know, to, to try to propel that body part into, um, you know, making up the ground that it, that it's lost compared to your other, other body parts. Um, those are typically the two ways I would run it. I got a follow up. I'm question. a four weeks on, four weeks off for what it's worth. Um, you too. can front load it. You can not front it. I always ask the client, how patient are you? Do you have the patience to wait for blood levels to come up? Because if you don't, then we'll front load it. But I prefer if it's me, I'm not usually going to front load. I'm a, I'm a patient guy. I've been around for a long time. Another four weeks. I'm, I'm good to allow. And then I have my blood levels high from the injectables. And then I put the, <clears throat> excuse me, the oral on top. And, and then it's, you know, it's a free for all synergy synergy <laughs> yeah, it's time, time synergy <laughs> so follow-up question he says um, for my girlfriend she's done anavar i want her to try anadrol as i've heard that its virilization is slim to none and i think that she could benefit from it so my question is is anadrol good for women and if so what are your recommendations on dosing and would pairing it with anavar be a good idea or completely pointless thanks can when you say it's quite, no virilization? I mean, can that really yeah, be? Oh, well, yeah, well, first and foremost, with, when we're talking about women and PEDs, I, I don't think anyone can make a blanket statement that on any, of any PED, on any, on any PED that it will yeah. not cause virilization. And we as coaches have no idea until we work with that person. So, and I'm really upfront with like women. I'm like, hey, we're going to always start low with something. I can't tell you what side effects you, you, you are going to get. These are the possible list of them. If you're not happy with any of them, you need to let me know as soon as possible and we'll adjust the dose or pull it out. Now, in terms of Anadrol, I think Anadrol is fine for females. Um, I think that um, I, I, my go-to for most females because of the classes I work with is usually Anavar, right? We're talking yeah, bikini right. figure, but I would not be you know, afraid to put like a women's physique or a girl in figure uh, who needs a little bit more muscle, obviously, on Anadrol. Um, Stacking Anavar and Anadrol, here's the problem with that, is that you don't know which one is causing any side effects that you might see. So I would opt to say, okay, do one cycle of eight weeks of one of them, take eight weeks off, and then do another eight-week cycle of the other one, and then assess between the two. And then maybe, if no issues with either of them, try a lower dose of both of them for an eight-week cycle and really assess and see what happens there. I got nothing to add to that. It's perfect. All right. I would say that 
and we talked about this a little bit before, I don't think I would consider Anadrol for this person, period, flat out, ever. Uh, she's done Anavar. I don't think it, there's nothing about her being a competitor or anything like that. She's done Anavar once, and he says he thinks that she should do Anadrol, and he's heard that it's, you know, there would be, I'm with you, Andrew, that like, you know, even Anavar can give side effects, can mm -hmm. cause virilization. Mm -hmm. sure. You know, even low doses. I've, you know, we've probably all three seen that. Like five milligrams you think isn't going to do anything, but. If you tend to be a woman that grows facial hair, then let's throw a little bit of androgens in there and watch it grow just a little bit faster. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I agree with you, man. Like, Anadrol for a higher level athlete, maybe that's where we'd start considering something like that. But I wouldn't get there until I've gone through a whole gamut of other things. And it is a strong androgen, right? Like, this is a powerful oh, yeah. androgen we're talking about. And we did talk a little bit about dosing, too. So I know for men, we're talking 50 to 100 milligrams. So and it comes in 50 milligram tablets. So I imagine that if this guy's listening to you, he's thinking, well, she'll probably need less than me. She'll just take like one tab a day. Well, or it can come in liquid, but I get what you're oh, saying. Yes. You're not going to get 10 milligram Anadrol tabs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're going to fight to find those. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say in dosing, Andrew? Well, would I start someone out with the Anadrol? Like, yeah, somebody who was in the position you mentioned, somebody who, say, was a, a more advanced competitor looking to put on more size. Yeah, I would probably start with five milligrams. So, and how do you do that, right? You, it, and this is not a precise way to do it, but I would take the pill and I would put it on a milligram weight oh. scale and, and I would crush it up. And then I would, put, or let's say it weighs, I don't know, 400 milligrams, just shits and giggles i would say okay you need to take what is it, 20 milligrams because the whole pill even if it's a 50 milligram pill there's 50 milligrams of the active compound and then there's x amount of, of milligrams of the filler right whether it's magnesium stearate or, or some other binding agent so you would need to figure out how much of that pill what, what one pill weighs and then figure out what 120th of that amount would be hoping that it's evenly dispersed throughout the whole powder. Yeah, okay? that's true. Yeah. Because you could run into a situation where you get in one of the little dose, one of the little lines you make, like a little Coke line, you might get a hundred percent anadrol or a different one. You might get a hundred percent filler. So, but I think in fairness, like Andrew, they're not putting the anadrol in each tablet. Like you would fill a donut with cream. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like one guy is standing there with a tube and he's squeezing and, and like an anadrol frosting into each tab. Sure. I see what you're sure. saying. I completely. Yeah, it's possible I mean, though. I've heard that that it's well, not and necessarily. The only reason I bring this evenly. up, the only reason I bring up about the even dispersal is because like eight years ago I watched a 60 minute special about the pharmaceutical industry and the disparity in the in the amounts in individual doses that came off the thing one after another off off the machine one after another. There were some decent discrepancies in terms of the amount of active compound in them. And these are Pfizer. These are Merrick. These are all these top. Is that right? Yeah. Be, yes. So that's why. That. I'll be damned. I, I, well, that's why it was such a big story. And sure. It, yeah. If I can find the 60, it was a 60 minutes, like maybe eight or 10 years ago. And that kind of stopped me in my tracks because I was really starting to work with females and compounds at that time. And it's like, huh, maybe we can't just break half a pill in half. Or we really need to consider what's going on with, with, with these, especially knowing that. I'm assuming that the manufacturers of the of a lot of the underground stuff we get are not up to the quality standards of manufacturing that America yeah. or, 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 you know, um, a Pfizer is. So liquid might still be the better option, even if it's off, at least it'd be consistent. Yeah. And it yeah. would, you know what I mean? 
Shake that. Shake it up. Got one for you, Skip. Head us up on this one. Um, And and maybe we'll make this our last question. Um, Says, uh, what advice? He says, uh, um, here's a question since I was mentioned in the video. I guess that we we mentioned him at some point. Um, What advice would you give guys um, to someone that uh, just started to compete in their 40s or older? I'm in this situation currently, and I'm looking forward to the process, but I know I'll never be as big as the younger guys. I know you always like to say you're the old guy of the group. Yeah, and I mean, as far as competing, my advice wouldn't be strictly about competing. It would be just about the, the process of training in general, and that is just the injury factor and, and being smart in trying to, you know, he did mention about size. So, uh, but as far as being a competitor... I don't know that there are huge differences in things that you have to do if you're 40 versus when you're 20. I just, the training is, is what concerns me with age more than anything else. Uh, and that is you want to stay injury free as long as you can. Cool thing is, is if you start late and you're older, Mm. you're still in better shape from an injury standpoint, usually than if you, have been doing it forever and ever hallelujah and because i think training years are like dog years mm-hmm. they you progress a lot faster so if you've been training for 20 years you're going to be likely a bit more beat up your joints are going to be beat up uh, your back sometimes will be beat up by the time you're 40 versus if you started at you know 35 uh, and then you know you want to compete when you're 40 but you know as far as diet and gear i mean it could be argued that you know you do you need to be more careful with gear? You need to be more careful with gear at 40, whether you started, whether you're competing or you're not competing. I, you know, I, I see training is the biggest thing that needs to be watched as people get older and for the older demographic. How about like bulking? Well, that's, and that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Bulking definitely plays a part because we all know that gear or no gear, you you're putting a lot more stress on your bodily systems, you know, your heart, your kidneys, everything, uh, especially with blood pressure and things as you get older. Um, but then that comes down to, you know, are you going to carry a lot more body fat? Are you more of a, an ecto, uh, endo? It, that all plays into it too, as far as somatotypes. So um, forcing food when you're older is a lot harder to do. <laughs> you know, the body isn't as resilient. Is, is when you're younger. So that is, that's, that's a definite, I would still, honestly, I would still take training over that. I'm not trying to one up you. I'm not trying to say my, no, I was asking, <laughs> I was asking like about that. Cause is that the only thing, you know what I mean? Is it, yeah. is that, is it the only thing? Cause I, my thought is, is that we're not as resilient, like, you know, to, to bouncing back that sometimes mm-hmm. I, cause I've seen guys that are in their forties or heading toward 50 and they start watching their podcasts and they hear Ron talking about going up to 300 pounds, you know, and, yeah. and guys that are putting on 50 pounds in the off season. And that's what you have to do to pull it back in. Like, I, I know, like I'm thinking of a guy I, I work with who um, is Canadian dude, really good guy. And he's been super consistent, which is always nice as a coach to be able to work with mm-hmm. somebody like that. And uh, middle-aged guy who, um, you know, with respect, had a very, like, average person physique. And he was like, hey, I want to compete. And, and, and I knew that if we started adding a bunch of food, 
it just re- really wouldn't do a lot. You know, we just add some yeah. fat and we add some muscle and there'd be a lot more work to get him down. So we got him pretty lean first, like and got his abs out. And I don't even know if he had ever been. I don't think he's ever been this lean before. And now we've built the food up and he's eating like two cups of rice around training and, you know, a bunch of other food through the day. And he's growing, yet he's staying in really good shape. Um, and his show is in October, I believe. And then he's doing one in November. So we're like kind of in a growth phase now. But my thought is like in your 40s going into 50s, I almost want to like, let's be that really jacked dude who's like kind of in really good shape all the time. Yes. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and we're not going to blow it out, you know, we're, but we're, we're just going to kind of ride that and, uh, you know, focus on having that good TRT in your system and, you know, just be a all that the all around badass. Like, make the most out of your forties. Is I guess my well, honestly, my that's point of how view. I've approached it since my forties. Okay, and I would go. I'm going to make a bold statement here, and Uh-oh. Um, it, it it it'll probably end up being a soundbite. But and some <laughs> people will have problems with it, and some people won't. But I do believe this: as you get into your forties, and especially as you get closer to your fifties, if you're going to look to add as much muscle as you can. I think you really have to pick between gear and forcing food. I don't think the two of them is a good, I I just don't think it's a good idea. Now here's where I'll get blasted. Well, you're basically saying then skip that, you know, they're the same. I'm not saying they're the same, but I'm saying the two of them together is a bad combination. As you get older, if you're going to force feed, I don't think it's a great idea, but you probably shouldn't be taking a bunch of gear. If you're going to take a bunch of gear, you probably shouldn't be force feeding. I focus more. On, this is I've said this to clients a lot, and I think there's some some validity to it. I'm chasing ounces, not pounds of muscle. And I think that as you get older, and especially if you've been training for a long time, it really should be. I'm always looking to grow as much as I can. I just am realistic knowing that that's not going to happen. And I think that most people need to approach it more realistically. Now, I will say if you start training late in life, you can grow very, very well. If you have only been training for a few years and and all of a sudden you're 40 years old, you may not be doing everything right. If you do everything right, you're going to probably grow more. But again, what I said, I still think stands and that is combining those two things is asking for trouble. I think it's the quickest way Okay, yes, sorry. you're about to say it. Sorry. Yep. No, ab- but absolutely. And that needs to be, I appreciate that you said that because it does need to be, to be clarified because I think that that's the issue. Health okay. body is not as resilient. It can't though. Forcing food is a, a very, mm-hmm. very big stress on the system. It's a big stress on the system when you're 25, but every year after that, it just, I think it just gets worse and the body doesn't respond. It's just not as resilient. It's like drinking. Yeah, I could drink when I was, we could all drink when we were 25, go in the gym the next day and have a pretty good workout. If I went and I drank right now, I couldn't train for a week. I'd feel like death. It's, it's, and anybody who drinks, I don't drink very frequently. Uh, in fact, I haven't drank since 2012. But the point is, is if you, even if you do drink, you know, you feel the impact of that because the body just isn't as resilient as it used to be. So what is, what does forcing mean then? I guess I got to define that. You know, forcing like forcing food for size. I mean, I, I say that bodybuilding, the biggest change in bodybuilding, I think, was in the mid 90s. And, and that was the shift. It was uh, we realized as a as an industry that you could force size by eating more. They didn't do that as much prior. Like in So the we're 80s. talking a lot, though, because I, I, yeah, I, I don't food. want people to mistake, yeah. you know, eating five times a day. No, uh, no. You know no, what no. I mean? Big, big, you know what I'm saying, though? Sure. Yeah, I would no, say force, food force feeding is where you do you eat your meal and when it comes time for the next meal 
you have this thought in your head of how am I going to get this next meal down? Exactly. And then you do it again two hours later and again two hours later. You're just compounding meals on top of one another, developing digestive issues along the way. Ooh, I, I, know I think I think kind of what you're saying, Skip, because I think you do this, is you're almost in a pre-contest diet favored towards anabolism more than fat loss. Is that, would, yep. you, would you say that's probably... Yeah, or, yeah. or a better, an easier way to put it with more simple layman terms is I'm constantly in what I call a recount. Just because mm-hmm. people understand that label so well, I'm going to grow, but I'm going to grow a couple reps, you know, here, you know, every couple weeks or something. It's not going to be anything that's going to be dramatically visual that after six months I go, wow, I've really made improvements. I'm Nate Spear over here. It's never, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I had those gains. I had those gains in the 2000s and, but it just wasn't and even in the nineties to some degree, but it, that's not going to happen anymore. And believe me when I say this, it really takes away some of you better love training and have a passion for training because it takes away some of the motivation and some of the fun because there's nothing when I go into the gym tonight or in three weeks or in six months, I'm not going to hit a number that I've never hit before. And that's a, that's, that's a been bit. the biggest thing for me, Skip is over the last like year. I mean, I've had some things that have been better on just because it's a new machine or a new movement, but like we all know we're never going to load five or six plates on our back and squat that again for seven or eight reps and just, you know, dump it when we're done and just be like, yeah, I just nailed that. You know, (sighs) like though, yeah, those highs are like over, you know, we can definitely, you know, make improvements. We can improve our form. We can definitely work on like hack squats and and leg presses Mm -hmm. and and movements, but just like, I'm never going to deadlift again. I'm I'm never going to pick a bar up off the ground. I've already decided Mm -hmm. that every time I do it, I hurt myself it's just off the table. But man, back in the day, pulling six plates for like eight or 10 reps and then just like dropping it and being like, yep, no one else can do that in here. Like that, that was fun. That was a high, well, yeah. you know? Yeah. Cause you just didn't know what was going to, what was going to come. It's part of my, my motivation why I'm so excited about the zeros because I don't even know that I'm going to get all that different of it, but it's something different that I have never done before. So yeah. I laugh and say my training now, it used to be raw. Now it's <laughs> it's meow. Yeah, it's from a lion to a cat, <laughs> a small cat. I wanted to mention. I'll add to that. Talk. I'll oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Scott, sorry, I was going to. I was going to say, give a, a shout out to somebody. Go ahead. Oh, go for it. Well, I will then. I will. Uh, <laughs> it was Rory. He, he's a new uh, Patreon subscriber, mm-hmm. and I got his message. And then I was going through to find questions, and I saw this just a comment he made the other day. He said, uh, "Just dropping in to say hi, loving the content you guys are putting out. I listen to uh, something new each morning, doing my fasted cardio for my prep. Keep up the great work." And I believe he's in his forties. I believe, and he's he's a former fitness model who's trying out physique sports now, trying out bodybuilding. So I wish him Very the best cool. of luck. Yeah. There aren't a lot was, of Rory's. I think that was when, I see, when I see Rory, I think of Rory Liedelmeyer. Yeah. I thought of him too. Yep. yep Different Rory. Yeah. But yeah. the only thing I was going to add is to, to add a little bit beyond, you know, what, what Skip was talking about, what Scott was talk, talking about was – uh, be very mindful of the things that are going to help you appear better on stage, meaning your gut, like your abdominal yes. control. You know, that's one thing because we can always pick out a master's competitor who hasn't been doing those sorts of things. You know, you, everyone wants to be that 19, 20 year old kid doing his first show who, oh my God, look at his waistline. He's got so much potential. No one says that about the 45 year old guy getting <laughs> right. on stage for the first time because, well, because. His, his stomach is usually blown out because he hasn't had that kind of control. So mm-hmm. I would say to anyone who's getting into competing in their 40s for the first time, if you can do yourself a favor, you want to do yourself a favor, 
master abdominal control, do your vacuums, practice that kind of stuff because it comes a long way from your front relaxed, your front double, every yep. shot in between. Um, it, it just helps your taper and it just helps separate you a little bit more from other guys in your age group. And if you haven't hit, if you, if you pulled your stomach in at the moment that Andrew was talking about that, then I suggest you hit the like button. How about that? <laughs> I should also say, you know, maybe some of our listeners in their forties and fifties have some other tips and other things that they oh, want to yeah. you know, drop in the comments as well. You know, yeah, love to yeah. hear some of the, some of our listeners points of view. Yeah. And DHB too. I'd be curious to hear uh, any feedback guys had on DHB as well, you know, for sure dosing and 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 had they had the same issues that skip and i have had i think that's pretty common man the pain stuff but outside of that i think it's a a pretty tolerable drug i did want to grab one more uh just because i saw it in our live stream from uh, matt blevins he said uh have you ever heard of clen making you sleepy after eating Uh, 60 micrograms three times per day I'm wired as long as I don't eat. Uh, if I even drink a shake, it makes me want to curl up for a nap within an hour. Thanks. I'm more concerned that you put a question mark after commenting about the smartest guys in body, but there should be a period right there or an exclamation mark. But whatever, <laughs> but whatever Matt. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, off the top of my head, I'm going to say that I haven't. Uh, Excuse me. Have you guys. Clen just makes me tired no matter what. Like once yeah, you built up like to like 68. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you know, you've been <laughs> on it for like two, three weeks when you just everything you do. And of course you're taking it when you're leaner and you're more energy deprived anyway. Yes. But yeah, man, I, I always feel better when I pull the clen out for those, you know, two or three weeks that I take breaks from clen. I always definitely feel more alert, but I also say this, that um, eating in general might make you just a little bit more sleepy, yeah. especially where depending on where your insulin sensitivity yeah. is. My advice to him might be to look at his diet, the source of the foods he's eating. Mm. And because you guys might recall this or you might have some experience with this, sometimes just drinking a protein shake, if that's like he said he's doing, can cause some of that transient hypoglycemia. Um, I'm, even though there's I'm no carbs I'm terrible for that. I'm terrible we, for we've that. Seen you, we've seen you do it on air, Scott, where yeah. you're like, oh, I just had a protein shake and you're like dripping sweat. And it's like you got the telltale signs of going hypo. All and my life. I think like since I was a teenager, that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So, so you know what I'm talking about. So I do think that maybe he needs to look at the sources of the foods he's eating, maybe add a little bit more fat and fiber to the meals that he's having. And, um, you know, maybe take a little more time to eat his meals. If he's someone that scarfs his meal down, I really don't think it has anything to do with the clen and the eating personally. That's what I thought too. I would think so too. Do you guys split it up into three doses through the day? I'm not opposed Uh, to it because of the half-life, but I don't. I don't I'm either. Gonna, gonna, it would keep I'm me gonna... awake. What about you, Andrew? See, but I, I don't yeah, have I, that. Do you guys have that with sleep? Do you, I don't. Are I've you one of those guys? So some people will take it before bed, and yeah. I've known I don't guys who do bed. that. And and I tried it once, and it was the most god awful sleep of my entire life. I will never do that again. Have you guys ever? Yeah, taken but if it you only tried bed? it once, maybe that's why. No, it was enough to know, man. I'm never doing that again. Like it was, right. it was right. like drinking a pot of coffee before bed. It was not good. Yeah, your resting heart rate isn't going to be very low when you're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I went tachycardia at 3 a.m. I didn't know because I was sleeping. Yeah, but I woke up leaner. <laughs> I just remember something something stupid I did like 20 years ago. Was it a stupid <laughs> thing? <laughs> oh, man. It, yeah, I got like, one too then. So I, 
took some clen, you know, took some clen. I was, you know, rocking it hard. And then I went over to a friend's house that might have um, offered some some white powder that that you know you have to smell it a bunch of times to to, to figure out what's going on with it. If you know what oh I'm saying. Oh my god! <laughs> and so he's he's looking at me, and I'm like just kind of sitting like this, and I'm like dripping. Oh, you can't see me. I'm like dripping on yeah. the floor. He's like, bro, you okay, man? Like, you're not, you're not gonna die on me, are you? You're not, you're not gonna freaking zap out on me. Like, what's going on? I'm like, oh no, I'm good, but. I don't recommend doing that. No, I'm I, myself. I'm a clean all in one dose kind of person. Me too. Um, I don't like to space it out. Though I do have some clients that are like, I really want to space it out. It's too much for me at one dose, or yeah. they just they they watch the Dave Palumbo video and they want to do twenty micrograms with every meal or something like that. Oh. So I'm just like, okay, whatever, do it. Dave says that. Yeah. I didn't know Dave says that. Yeah, it's that always his thing. Yeah, I've, I've it seen long it term, and I've seen yeah. it when I do the long term thing too. But I've seen it where if it's too high. I, I am, I've had people take it first thing and then maybe four hours later, like split into two doses, Yeah, you know, but yeah. that's only after you get to like a higher dose, you know, 100, I, I don't have clients. I don't have clients take it. If they train in the morning or they do cardio in the morning, I tell them to wait until after. Otherwise, if they do their cardio in the morning, sometimes they'll sit there and their legs will be going, just barely moving. And they'll be like 130 or something like that. Like take it after you're going to get, we don't want, I, I don't know if you guys have had this, but training, I mean, my, I'm not going to take a dose of clen and then train legs or train back. Oh, I'll, no way. I'm 53. I'll die. Well, you're going to cramp, <laughs> well, gonna cramp right up, idea. too. Yeah. You're going to cramp right up. Cramp. That's funny you say that. If you Let me just tell the listeners, and you guys will back me up on this. If you take a, a week or two off a of train or you come back from vacation, do not start clen <laughs> the day you come back to training because you literally, like if you're training back, you're – your brachialis will want to lock up halfway yeah. through the workout. You'll have such vicious cramping that it'll be just painful. Absolutely horrible. I had a terrible cleanse story myself that this is, and this is one of the dumbest things I've done in bodybuilding. And there's been a few, but I, and I was like deep in a prep and this is after I knew better too. Like I knew what I was doing and I had two different brands of clen. One of them was, 20 microgram tablets one of them was 40 microgram tablets and i was taking 120 micrograms of clen and i switched to the other tablets and like i said i was like freaking brain dead low carb like absolutely peeled getting ready for the show a couple weeks out and i started taking 240 <laughs> overnight literally went to 240 my blood pressure went so low from that and I ended up, I, I, I thought I did it for like three days straight. It took me a while to figure it out because I just felt like really fatigued. And I was like, oh shit, I'm feeling really just fatigued, man. This diet's really kicking my ass until finally like the third day or fourth day because it's long in half-life, right? Building up in your system. And I literally was walking from my bedroom to like go out to the, go do my cardio, leave the house. And I sat down in the hallway floor and I was like, I'm just so, I got to just sit down for a minute. This is just kicking my ass. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I made a mistake and I realized it right then. So I, it was a stupid, stupid error, but I guess it goes to show that everybody makes mistakes even after I'd been doing it for years, you know, my Can brother took 400 once. I was just going to go hundred. Yeah. Four, Do you remember, um, who was the ready, ready, ready cat? Remember oh yeah Reddy yeah cat? of course yeah okay. ready cat i'm gonna throw him under the bus here and this uh -oh. is years ago but he mislabeled 
the clan and ketotypin. They were combined in one yep, tablet. I remember that. And they, he mislabeled it and screwed it around with Anavar. So I thought I took two or three Anavar, but I took clan with ketotypin. So I was ready to go to the hospital because I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was going to work when I worked with the kids. And I'm driving <clears throat> with somebody, and, and she had gone into the store and came back, and I was falling asleep. Yeah, obviously from the ketotypin, but I had a heart rate that was like, it was borderline tachycardia. I want to say it was 160, 170, yeah. but I couldn't figure out what was going on because I'm like, you know, Anavar, it couldn't have. And after I thought about it, when I got home, I'm like, is there any chance? And I'm like, oh my God, these are 200 microgram tabs with I think one gram or one milligram of ketotypin. And I had taken two. I may, I may have taken three, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was two and it was just the first day yeah but it was putting me to sleep and i couldn't figure out what the hell the problem was so when i let him know he he felt horrible but that's what yeah. it was and i had to obviously change more because they they came on those they were taped remember they were in between like he would tape the tabs and then put tape over them and then he would write on it what it was i remember this now he just wrote the wrong shit. That was a long time ago, man. It was. I talked about it on, on Intense Muscle or Muscle Chemistry. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. We were talking early 2000s. Yeah. It was probably 2002. Yeah, that would have been a really long time ago. Yeah. He was around after that because I, I wouldn't have been around the boards until a couple years later. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Anyway. All right, let's wrap this thing up. We appreciate you guys tuning in, hanging out with us, and and watching us change our wardrobe after the first fifteen minutes of the show. That was freaking awesome, <laughs> guys. Go to uh, teamskip.com. You can reach out to Skip there and bodyberry.com. Reach out to Andrew. Hit me up, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. And of course, check out our sponsors, TrueNutrition.com. Use our code Think. As I mentioned before, uh, you know they have supported our programming long before anybody else had a part in it. So thank you. They've believed in us. We believe in them. You can support us by shopping with True Nutrition using our code THINK. And also uh, check out supplementsource.ca for our Canadians because they have freaking awesome deals there. I love a good deal. I love a good deal on bodybuilding supplements and you can find deals that change week to week. And uh, Mino Asylum, hit them up with code THINK as well as uh, Patreon because you guys are freaking awesome for supporting us, Rory and everybody else. For another episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear with coaches Skip Hill and Andrew Berry, let's tune in to the New York Pro and see what happens with Nate Spear. We'll see you soon, guys. Thanks for watching.